Welcome to Film Grain, the official podcast of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania and the Greater Erie Film Office. I'm Erica Berlin, Executive Director of the Film Society of Northwestern PA. I'm John Lyons, filmmaker, teaching artist, and the Director of Programming for the Film Society. I'm Jesse Olszewski, filmmaker and project coordinator at the Greater Erie Film Office. I'm Mike Berlin, Erica Berlin's husband. Jesse has all the details on Tuesday night's virtual filmmaker meetup. Mike takes a look at the WGA's new 2020 inclusion report to see how Hollywood is doing in the writing department. We'll talk with Sosi Nova, musician and owner of Retro United Incorporated, and share our thoughts on two new Women in Peril feature films, Crawl and Starfish. I'm going to start. I'm going to talk about our virtual filmmaker meetup, which is something we're doing through the Greater Erie Film Office. It's going to be done over Zoom, but it's a place for filmmakers to connect and collaborate on their projects. This is the first one we're doing, so we're pretty excited. We're going to kind of play it by ear. But the uh, first thing we're going to do is inform everyone how they can sign up for the Pennsylvania Real Scout Crew Database. So uh, if you have filmmaking skills or you work in the industry, you can post those and your contact information out in the filmmaking ether so that producers and studios can find you. Um, this is also a feature we're going to have on the Greater Erie Film Office website, which we'll be launching later this year. So that's kind of exciting. And it's also uh, an opportunity for filmmakers to share their successes, any challenges they've been facing recently and any new projects they're working on and if they're trying to find people to collaborate with. So the event will be hosted on Zoom. All you have to do is follow the registration link on our Facebook event to save your spot. Uh, we expect it to be just a great networking event. And if uh, the, uh, everyone in attendance finds value in it, we may keep it going and make it a, a regular thing. So that's going to be on July 21st at 8 p.m. Which is the day after this episode drops. What is this Zoom thing you're referring to, Jesse? Everyone and their mother knows Zoom nowadays, but uh, Zoom is basically just a audio-video platform where people can talk. Jesse, um, we should mention that on the Facebook event, people need to register. There's a link right there in the description to register. Once mm -hmm. they do, they're going to get the, uh, the Zoom link over their email, and that's the link that they'll go through to join us. Who's ready for it? Who's excited for it? Tell We're us ready. some stats. The WGAW, the Writers Guild of America West, uh, recently uh, released a, their third inclusion report. And what this essentially does is it breaks down from demographics, male, female, black, white, and just all across the board of like the people, uh, the representatives who are in the writing room. Further break it down, they do it from a film perspective and they do it from a television perspective. This is something that I think we can come to expect probably going forward on a pretty regular basis. And they were doing this even before the recent um, sort of the attention to details of social issues. Uh, so it's good that this is happening. This needed to happen a long, long time ago. This is too, this took too long to sort of get organized, but they're doing it. It's moving forward. So we can break it or we'll get into the conversation a little bit. From the film perspective, we'll start off there. What they're seeing is that there is more diversity in the writer's room, but not enough. Not nearly the way that television is doing it. Television still has a lot of grounding to cover and stuff like that. And they go into it and they really get granular with it. And uh, they use the census and the CDC and they sort of gauge things out by the demographic of the American population. And then they sort of do a comparison of the cumulative writers in the room. And uh, what we're seeing right now is uh, women have really taken in both film and in television a great leap forward, I would say from a percentage standpoint. Uh, there's a lot more female uh, writers and, uh, and particularly in television, I think what's uh, sort of interesting to see is that there's a lot more women of color who are really coming up in the forefront, a lot more women showrunners. Um, film still has a lot of work to do, which is kind of the, it has a lot of work to do. Uh, overall, if we, if we want to start looking at some of the numbers, so from a film perspective, you still, from a, if you look at the census, it's like 13%, uh, it's like a 13% African-American uh, population, but it's only 7% represented in the in the writer's room 
Uh, that's overall, not just uh, men and women. For uh, the Latin American population, it's 18%, but it's only 4% in the writer's room. And then you look at something like white men and women, it's 60% of the population, but it's 80% in the writer's room. So things are, things are still a bit out of whack. In television, those numbers are a lot closer to what we're seeing in the census. So the recommendation and the, and the conclusion of all of this is that they want there to be a greater effort from executive producers, studio execs, directors to try to have a, to try to be more mindful of diversity on the staff and not just in the middle management, in positions where people, people of diversity will give other people those, those inroads in because at the end of the day, it makes for better content too. It's all a win-win-win type of situation. Hopefully Hollywood and the various uh, outlets are paying attention to this. That's yeah, kind of like from the mainstream standpoint or from the, the independent? Uh, there is some independent. Independent can have a funny, uh, can have a funny distinction. Uh, some things are considered independent, but that can be, you know, that they can be still sort of under the guise of like, you know, Netflix and stuff like that or, YouTube uh, or YouTube, right, right. And it's like amazing yeah, shows I've seen on YouTube Absolutely. that I matter not any longer, <laughs> right? So, it, so it might be like a smaller uh, studio house of the bigger players, but they're still sort of they're under the umbrella, and so they're still getting the funding. Gotcha. I have a question about this. Yeah. So, if there's a goal to increase diversity in the writers' room, and which um, especially in film, how far, I mean, it's not just looking at the decision makers and studio executives and producers to say, okay, you need to pick more women or you need to pick more people of color. Where is, how do you go back further than that and say, how do you create film programs or writing programs early on to spark interest in writing for film? and develop talent early on. So it doesn't just come down to an executive making a decision. The other things that we can do to enrich, you know, the arts by bringing up people that otherwise may not have had, you know, an interest or th even think that writing for television is a thing or writing a movie is a thing, you know? I, I think that that's where the responsibility certainly lies for, especially for organizations like ours. I mean, with the film society, it's not just about sitting around and watching movies and talking about that, although we do love to do that. It's important to be involved in film education programs. Those education programs are reaching a very diverse audience. And I say this because we have a program that's coming up, and I know we weren't planning on talking about it, but I think that John, you know, is going to be running a, um, a program with Erie Arts and Culture to do just that. Wow. How about that segue? Yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's a great it's a great point for sure, Erica. And film school is really expensive. So, you know, a lot of people that are hired on film projects and series and, and into these writers room, you know, they're kind of already part of the inside club, probably why it's taking so long, you know, for these diversity initiatives to finally start taking root. But to Erica's uh, comment, yes, we are, well, by the time this airs, we'll be we will be done taking applications, um, but we are working with Erie Arts and Culture and the city of Erie to have young people in grades eight to 11 that reside in the city, that have zip codes in the city, specifically looking for uh, black and brown children that are, haven't had the opportunity to, you know, be in a film program or, you know, to make creative content of their own. Um, and we're gonna work with them virtually, Unfortunately, uh, it'll be a good challenge, but we're going to work with them for uh, the next month. And then the films that they produce, um, we will have in a youth film festival later in the year. So thank you for that. I was a little surprised to see the report go without saying it. But I think that there's also something that needs to be talked about with the marketing. Because at the end of the day, um, we, all, we all love films. We all love, you know, some of the narrative television that's out there. But it is a business. And I think that there, I'm wondering, and this sort of steps outside of our bounds, but I'm wondering if marketing departments at all are looking at any of this data and this research, because I think for so long, still, there's a lot of uh, entertainment. It's being directed towards a demographic, a certain demographic of audience. And it's not being as, uh, to be frank, I don't think it's being as inclusive as it could be. Now, again, I get it. 
you know, it's a bottom line, it's a business type of situation, but it's a big piece of that puzzle that needs to still get figured out. Yeah, Hollywood just really doesn't get it. I mean, they don't, you know, how long did, did they miss the boat on films directed towards women and films directed towards, you know, black and brown people? I mean, these people go to the cinema, right? So it's like a no brainer, you know, the big deal is, oh, let's make Black Panther. And like, this is like some amazing epiphany that they came to, like, you know. You remember the protest of Black Panther? Uh, refresh my memory, so see. Not many people were really excited about Marvel, you know, dropping an African-American superhero. When we talk about film, sadly, a good depiction of a culture through Hollywood is formatted racism. <laughs> Every time that you see somebody of color or somebody of a different nationality, it's either drug dealer, gang member, terrorist, slave trade, or something of that nature, never in the heroic standpoint. So when you have Black Panther that is one a king, a black rich guy, and something that nobody's ever seen, which is a hidden city in the middle of Africa, <laughs> it was just like, okay, um, that's not the depiction that we're used to seeing. We're used to seeing like Denzel Washington in Training Day. We're used to seeing Boys in the Hood. We're used to seeing a black guy dressing up as a woman and you know doing comedy but in that kind of standpoint that would have been inspiring they said yeah and there are some exemplary films that are out there whether it's uh the last black man in san francisco which i thought was one of the best films last year mm -hmm. waves um there are some amazing voices out there now i know what you're talking about with black panther on some level but it's also like it's hard for me to nitpick at marvel <laughs> It's, it's like, you know what a Marvel movie is going to be. Uh, I'm not a huge Marvel fan, but it's just like, if you're going to say Marvel, immediately it's going to be like superhero. And it's just like, I'm not expecting them to do anything else. I, I think, and again, that's sort of why I go back to my problem with the marketing from Hollywood's perspective. It's like, I don't think that they're doing enough to get these films in, in front of people's eyeballs and to really make them aware that there is one of the best shows on television right now is Insecure. And now granted, you know, that depends if you're behind HBO's firewall and stuff like that. But like, I don't know if it's reaching the abundance of the audience that it needs to be reaching. It's underground. You know how a lot of classics back in the 90s really weren't popular, but they were considered a cult classic or back in the 80s. Breakfast Club, to me, or Days and Confused, those two movies right there, anytime that you put them on, you can watch them. It's not like something that you're just going to snooze or, you know, have it in the background. You actually pay attention to them. Business storyline just keeps coming back. It recycles that memory to you. Coming to what you're talking about with the marketing in Hollywood, they pick and choose just like when it comes to music. Across the board, not just like in hip-hop or in R&B, country music, rock and roll, heavy metal, pop. There's so many good artists and so much high quality music that really could craft a different ideology of a culture. Yeah. Instead of the bubble gum, lose it in six to 12 months, can't remember half of the song. I but it's <laughs> all about the, like you said, the marketing. Right. There's movies that should no longer be considered just a Sundance film. Starfish should be an MTV Films movie that they had back in the 90s. That marketing is all by choice. They're showing you what they want you to see instead of really utilizing the internet and being able to absorb all different types of artistic wealth, if I say it like that. No, I, I completely agree with this. And I think this is an old story in some level. You know, with the advent of the internet and with us having so much more information at our fingertips tips and at disposal, we're just much more hyper aware of it than we've ever been before. Yeah, and I, I would say, I think it's hopeful um, to see that there's movement in television as far as diversity in writing the stories, because, you know, that's where things are going to change. 
I appreciate, Mike, that you highlighted it. I would assume that we're seeing more change in television because there's so much content there, right? Like Hollywood can only pump out so many Marvel movies a year. But but as far as television series, you know, we need diversity. And I think that's probably why you're seeing the change there faster, I would assume. Huh? I think now the playing field is probably changing a little bit because cinema, film, what you might go out and buy a ticket for is changing completely. You know, we've experimented with this a little bit and your audience is not necessarily the people who are gonna go out and seek out a in-person film watching experience and make a date night of it. The accessibility to new markets is really opened up. So again, Mike, to your, to your point about marketing, the marketing, I think the opportunity or the channels are there. It's just, what is the right message? What is the right invitation? You know, if the content is, is being created with a really strong sense of inclusion and a, a diverse writing room and diverse directors, how do you get that message out? And so that's where I think the playing field is leveled because everyone's got the streaming services and the movies are coming to them. So how are you serving up the right suggestions or how are you communicating industry, um, I don't want to say industry news, but you know, new releases and information about films to that broader audience? Because you have to think, what are the biases that exist? I'm a woman. Can you tell? If I'm a woman and I'm like, what are the biases that I have against? Oh, well, it's showing me this movie. It's like a, a, a guy he's trapped under his house and there's a flood and there's alligators. Like, oh my God, this is not for me at all. The only reason I'm watching it is because my husband and John have said, you need to watch this because it's really <laughs> fun. I don't know, just kind of figuring out the right way to get the content to the people that you want to market it to. It's just a whole different universe now. So I, I think I, I'm curious to see how the streaming taking over is going to change things. I want to thank our special guest, Sosi Nova. Um, I did creep on your Facebook page today a little bit just to get okay. a little bit more info about you. I hope you don't mind. You have your own production company and you're a musician and producer. Why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about who you are, where you come from? I am the most anti-social, social person that you'll ever meet. <laughs> nice. My that world sounds relatable. Yeah. <laughs> My world is family, music, and life. That's it. Mm -hmm. Very retro-ish. That's why my production name is Retro United Inc. From Erie, born and raised. No, I'm not going to go into the Will Smith spiel. Um, <laughs> I did see, I think you commented on Facebook about that. <laughs> like I said, I creeped really on your page. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy that I filter things on there. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, it was it was fun. It was fun. Have to be a little bit more thorough now. Yeah, I'm just happy to be, you know, with the group today. And I can't wait to talk about, you know, Florida and how I will never move there. Ever. <laughs> well, what do you think? Like, okay, Florida, we're never going to move there. How much content do you think is being generated right now? People are having, like, people are getting pregnant left and right. I just got my hair cut and the girl's like, oh, yeah, I'm pregnant. And the other one's, yeah, I'm pregnant. So a lot of babies are coming out of COVID. But what do you think about, like, the creative art? What's going to come out of, of COVID for musicians and filmmakers? Streams are going to rule film and music world period fear that we'll never have concerts the way that we used to i fear that we'll never have film festivals the way that we used to just because of the pandemic that's occurred uh if we do it'll be quite some time from now so we're just gonna have to evolve and it's like a plan b people sharing information about different films and music we're going old school again it's like a speakeasy for film and music now. Uh-huh. Well, that's a nice way to think about it. I mean, are we going to like write notes and mail them to each other? Like, hey, I made you this mixtape. No, we're going to probably just put it in Dropbox and somebody's okay. going to download it, you know. <laughs> that, was my, that was my inside joke about Starfish. 
Look, <laughs> what was the last time that anyone really wrote a letter? Officially like for just a, a letter writing purpose? I don't know. Uh huh. It's been a while. I wrote a card for my my cousin got married and I wrote a card. Okay, so let's go to like Retro United. Okay, you've got um, a number of videos on your YouTube page. Tell us about the two. I think we looked at two. Um, one, you kind of feature doc, Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, vocals in, and you have like some beat behind it. And the other one mm. is like a really cool anime scene. So why don't you talk about those two specifically? Where, what was your inspiration? I think I know the answer to one of those. I think you already know the answer to one of those. <laughs> it was quite clear. <laughs> and it's a shame that was from a year ago, but it seems like really? I can just add more to it now. Wow. So Same yeah. America, which is yeah. um, basically images of protests and violence and fake um, news. It's 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 views of fake news, as uh -huh. people say. Yeah, I'm definitely not fake. And uh, anyone who watched it would. I mean, I was certainly moved by it, of course. And having the words of Dr. Martin Luther King was really was really powerful. So what's your goal in creating in creating this work? Are you looking to create social change yourself? I think we all do in different ways. We just have different perspectives of how we're doing it. Some people are just now learning it. Some people have been aware and some people are indolent to the idea of it. But myself, yeah, I guess so. So who who is your audience? Everyone who's watching or listening. Open market. What else have you, like what brought you to this point of, of creating, you know, visual? The whole self made the independence standpoint, the lack of being able to get John, you know, since he's so busy <laughs> to help me with certain things, but I understand. <laughs> so Not I'm okay. trying to do it myself, even though it'd be nice to have John help me, you know, mm -hmm. let me just reiterate that in there. <laughs> but I have a computer, so let me try it out myself. I'm already doing, you know, other things involving, you know, media. So I like learning new things. So what else are you doing in media? Photography, trying to do a little film like John, since he won't <laughs> help me right now. Um, John, you're getting called out here. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, shots fired. <laughs> but um, just across the board, editing, yeah, don't try to dodge them. You can't edit these out of the film, no. <laughs> but, you know, just different things, whatever I catch interest on. Uh, right now, it's web page designing. Like I said, looked at your Facebook page. Um, <laughs> and you have to keep bringing that up. <laughs> well, no, I just because we had never met before, and all I had were two, you know, videos, and I thought, well, I wanted to know a little bit more about you. And considering the the media that you're producing, especially Same America, one of the things that you said on Facebook, and I, I was very moved by, was that you know, paraphrasing, essentially you want to or need to change yourself into the person that you wish your son will be someday. And uh, I thought that I thought that was a really cool statement. So I mean what is that what does that mean to you right now? Everything. That means everything to me. When I die, I would like to be able to come back and haunt him and see that he's not embarrassing <laughs> me. <laughs> Excuse my French, but damn it, isn't that every parent's goal? Like, when we die, when we come back, and you want to go talk to Sylvia Brown or whoever it is one that I like to talk to her, like, <laughs> I want to be able to say, you know what? Attaboy. Attaboy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're not killing my legacy. I love this. Like, you're awesome. You rock. But he's already go. doing that. He's kind of putting me to shame. What's he doing? Eight years old, honor roll, very polite, very passionate, very forgiving, 
and very mature. It's embarrassing sometimes when he puts me in my place. I found that I was just on vacation with a girlfriend of mine and her family, and she has two boys, and one of them is nine. The nine-year-old was putting people in their place constantly. I think that it's something, it's something that that age, they just do. They're like, uh-huh, I'm, I think I know better than everybody here. You wish you could turn into an eight or nine-year-old, fight them for five minutes, so it's perfectly legal. <laughs> yeah, because they get mouthy, don't they? <laughs> I wouldn't even say mouthy, I'll say slick. Like slick. they say it the right way, but you know what they meant because you've been there. <laughs> so it's like, do you really want to proceed or do you want to just give him a pass? Like, ugh. yeah, I'm sure that you're learning from him as much as he's learning from you, but I think that I'm sure he will make you proud someday and carry on your legacy. <laughs> I hope so. Because if not, I feel bad for him. <laughs> well, okay, so you worked with John. I mean, John, I'll ask you this question. Why did you invite, I know that, Sosie, you worked on one of John's films, There Are No Goodbyes, correct? Love that, yeah. I was nervous yeah. as so, uh, Well, tell me about that. that. Yeah, talk about that, guys. We did a call out for um, submissions because we wanted to highlight local artists and um, Andy Flatley, Andy Wondersound, he handled all of those logistics and man, like there were people I had never heard of, uh, Sosi being one of them. And I was just really impressed. Like his beats are like just so chill. Like the other song that um, is on your YouTube, I would just describe it as like, well, I'm, I'm curious how you, how you would describe your style, but um, you know, it's just this, just a great groove and you know gives you an instant like emotional feedback response i think to to your style so see it just feels like yeah just chill <laughs> chill is the word that keeps coming to mind Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, I needed some music, like cool, hanging out in the club, uh, having some drinks with some friends, dancing, and um, picked Sosie's song for that scene in There Are No Goodbyes, and I, I thought it fit really well. I was lucky. I was very lucky. Because that was a very, very exhausting selection to try to pick. Like, I don't want to go overboard because there was like 3,000 songs that I could have picked through at that time. And I didn't want to sit up here and give a playlist and just be like, okay, by the 15th one, you'll be bored. So yeah, <laughs> I'm very happy that you picked something. And I play that movie still to this day because I have a DVD. So. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's cool, man. Oh, yeah, shout I'm out to Julie Tobin. She's the reason why we even linked because me and her were working on music at the time and she passed on the email. So yeah, thanks, Julie. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Julie, awesome, awesome person as well. Um, she was in Schism. How would you, I'm just curious, how would you describe your style, your brand, as far as music? I know retro is a big, big part of it, but. Um... Yeah, because retro is like the flagship of me growing up with music. Style-wise, I am nothing against anyone with any kind of disorder, but this is the perfect description of it. If you take somebody that has a schizophrenic mind and you throw millions of different colors into a bowl, you're gonna have all different kinds of streams, splats, spots, possible Monet's. It's going to be a chaotic vortex that you deal with when you come into a room and there's instruments around, or if there's studio equipment, because you never know it's gonna come out of me. That's Classical a great way to beats. describe it. Yeah. I, that's very visual for me. Again, nothing against anyone that has any disorders or any intellectual disabilities. Just wanna make sure. For anyone that's listening and for me as well, like where can we listen to your music? Other than the two I saw on YouTube. That's the thing that we're dealing with now. Instead of me focusing on the creative side, I am more on the business paperwork side. I know like you guys know paperwork sucks. 
So yeah. I'll say in the next month or so, you will see a plethora of music coming out. Like, are you on any, um, do you stream it from your own website? Are you on Spotify? Is it more on YouTube? It will be on all the outlets. All the outlets. Okay. Yes. Right now, are you oh. on Sound, or SoundCloud? I'm kind of, I've kind of, you know, retreated from SoundCloud. Does it seem like it kind of got overly saturated? Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to be in a big bucket of people. I kind of want to be in a little bottle cap so it's more focused. So that's why I'm going into the whole web page design. So everything's like more front and center. You have to come see instead of going scrolling. Get me? You want people to know who you are. Seat me like the Holy Grail. <laughs> All right. So your what's your website going to be? RetroUnitedInc.com. We'll check it well, out and we'll, we'll we'll link to the um, YouTube page in the show notes so people can check out your two videos. Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm videos. curious about uh, people's opinion of Crawl. We'll start with Crawl because it's like, why? Why would you think that in a storm of that level, <laughs> let me crawl into the basement and try to it's not even a basement it's a crawl space let me go in here and try to fix this real quick don't you have home insurance like come on man so see all you need is one word man florida that's all you need that's florida. the answer to your question florida but see i didn't florida, deal man. with that when i went to space. miami <laughs> miami i saw but, some but of someone was it was crazy. All right, we'll start with Crawl. So Crawl is available on both Hulu and Amazon Prime. It is a young woman while attempting to save her father during a Category 5 hurricane, right. finds herself trapped in a flooding house and must fight for her life against alligators. Uh, this is from uh, French director Alexandre Aja. Aja? Aja? Am I pronouncing it right? Aja. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, it stars Kea Galdel Ario, which um, Erica, you may have recognized her. She was in Wuthering Heights, which we showed at Film at the yes. Erie Art Museum by Andrea Arnold, which I loved yes. quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And also Barry Pepper. So, you know, there's not much set up here, but for me, there was just enough of character development there with the dad and the separation and the sisters in different places and the empty house and worried about him for, for multiple reasons, not just um, because of a Category 5 hurricane. For me, I thought that this was kind of popcorn entertainment that I really appreciate because it's straightforward, basic, and set up and gives me just enough of character development, then I'm okay with it and I care about these people getting through it. And uh, I thought it was done really well and uh, it really entertained me. So I'm curious what everyone thinks about Crawl. So disaster movies, which is essentially what this is, you know, whether it be like Independence Day or uh, Towering Inferno or the Poseidon Adventure and stuff like that. It's like, there's a brilliant novelty to them because it's like, you can do the elevator pitch, which is 25 words or less. You can explain the entire plot of the movie. Young girl and father get stuck in crawl space during hurricane where alligators are looking to eat them. It's like, I love high-minded films that really make you, you know, sort of uh, reflect upon the world at large. But sometimes you just fucking need to be entertained. And I loved it. I loved it. I was all on board. Absolutely. Nice. Well, I, okay. Yeah, Erica. I, I'm with Mike. I mean, I was, I was uh, entertained by it. I also like, find myself kind of looking away. The whole idea of alligators in a flooded basement, you know, mm. I, I'm a bit um, squeamish, first of all. So the injuries that people endure during this, this film are um, impressive that they are still alive, first of all. But the fact that they can walk and move on their broken limbs, again, you don't have to think too hard about these things. It's just good old fun. But it's, it's the kind of gross out you know, creature horror that I just, I'm not a huge fan of, but I thought it looked beautiful. Every single shot, like the CGI, the way that the photography is handled, it's like everything looks so glossy, like you're looking at, at a magazine, especially some of the shots, like the external shots of the storm and the house and the car, you know, like little sugar, you know, little sugar dog, um, very sweet. Mike says they never killed the dog. 
which I didn't know. I had to remind him that yes, they do kill the dog in fear. Does everybody remember fear? Oh, you took it back. Mark Wahlberg and yeah. Reese Witherspoon. They killed the dog in that one. If you if you haven't seen it. But anyway, I mean, I when I first heard that it's about a guy stuck in a crawl space, I was like, I can't watch this because I thought straight up like when i think of a crawl space i think of something tiny and someone trapped in something like a like a closet and the kind of claustrophobia like i went in with so much anxiety and i felt so much better after i started watching i'm like you're right this is kind of fun you know it's about a girl whose father is like her biggest fan but he's also her biggest her biggest challenger i guess as a as a um competitive swimmer so dad's put a little pressure on her, but he has taught her at an early age that she is a apex predator. So I actually said out loud the line that she said when she had to go swim across. So she, they finally get out of the house and it's an ocean between the house and the, um, and the gas station. He's like, you gotta swim it. And she's like, that's right. I'm the apex predator all day. And she swims across the across the little you know pond there and you see the alligators swimming at her from all directions it's like oh but yeah i mean that was fun it was fun it, after after i got to a certain point i'm like you know what i'm not gonna look when they do the gross out stuff but come on apex predator it's good right <laughs> so see jesse as soon as you are aware that she's a swimmer you already are kind of aware of what the ending's gonna be. Her swimming saves the day. Yeah. But in the middle part of the story, oh hell no. First <laughs> of all, Pops, why are you going into the crawl space and you know that there's about to be a hurricane? The house is gone. There's <laughs> nothing that you can do in the basement, therefore, that will protect this house. Go. Why? You're the reason why we're almost about to die now. You're the reason why a couple other people died because they were so busy trying to save y'all. <laughs> Think about it. Like, this is really creepy. Where did all these supersized alligators come from? <laughs> they almost look like they're the relatives of the crocodile that is in Peter Pan. But <laughs> it definitely had high intensity it yep. definitely had the suspenseful parts especially when there was that one pipe that she had to crawl back under or oh, over yeah. and the crocodile was too big to get through if <laughs> he really wanted to he could have done that burrowing that crocodiles could do or <laughs> alligators could do like a dog going under the fence i'm really happy that the creators didn't think about that because then that probably would have ended the movie yeah it was just too many alligators never ever will i go to florida and live if there's a hurricane <laughs> i barely like the snow so i'm just gonna stay in a safe place jesse <laughs> i mean you guys have hit all the points my friends and i our favorite pastime is to find just b horror movies with ridiculous creatures to laugh at them normally take themselves seriously and they're just so bad they actually did like a it was interesting. It was refreshing and done well. I mean, I love classics like Jaws and things like that. So, uh, like Erica said, the cinematography was great. John said the character development was enough. Enough. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was just enough. And so, total summer fun in 2020 when everyone's locked indoors and was like, man, I wish I could just go to Florida or something. <laughs> no, nope, we're all back inside. You will never hear me say that. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could just go to Florida. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be safe in Florida, safe and sane. No. I'm going to be honest with you. Because it was set in Florida, there was a part of me that's like, is this based off of a true story? <laughs> oh, no, sure. I, did, I did Google it. It's I, not. I, it's it's not. not. But I said to Mike when we were watching it, like, this has definitely happened. Like, some guy has been in his basement and it flooded and all of a sudden an alligator comes out of a storm drain or, like, some kind of pipe that runs off into the into the levee or whatever. It's happened. I believe in it. Florida. It's happened in Florida. You yeah, know when Florida, you do so the- chances are they were pets. <laughs> That's, <right. laughs> That's like when you do Peter the Florida King. man, you know, like you look up your birthday and you say Florida man. 
December 29th yeah. and see what the news is that day because the Florida man is always a hilarious. I don't know if you've done that lately, but this movie is that. Someone typed into uh, Google Florida man and then came up with a title after that. Yeah. <laughs> Florida man trapped in crawl space gets eaten by alligator. That's a real headline. Cool. I believe it. Well, so okay. crawl, does everybody, for what crawl is, it sounds like everybody gives it a, a thumbs up. Yeah, agree. Yeah. I give I, it a big gator tail up. <laughs> <laughs> I was changed. My mind was changed. I would not have chosen to watch it, but I watched it. I'd watch it again. Our other film that we checked out this week is Starfish, which is a low-budget indie. The director has just said it's a budget well under a million dollars, and it's one that I was really impressed with, so I can't wait to hear what you guys think. It's written, directed, and scored by A.T. White. It stars Virginia Gardner as Aubrey. It is as the beginning of the film starts, based on a true story. It is a story about dealing with grief. This is the first feature um, from this filmmaker, and he wrote it uh, after his divorce and the loss of a very close female friend to a rare form of cancer. And the director, um, everything that he made on the film, he donated to cancer research. So this is a very personal film and an experience that the filmmaker has called cathartic, which is something I can definitely relate to um, with my first film, Schism. It begins with a funeral. Uh, it's a funeral for Aubrey's best friend, Grace. And that's the setup for it. Um, she goes to her, to Grace's restaurant and her apartment, curiously looks around, goes through the memories, and she's haunted by some memories of her own. We'll take it, take it from there. I don't know how far I should go into the story, but, um, you know, we get the feeling that her friend Grace was an odd but unique duck. Um, one of those people that really make life interesting and, um, those special people uh, that a lot of times are chewed up and spit out by our harsh world. And the film really was an emotional journey for me. So I'm curious what you guys thought and let's get into some more of the plot. Whoever wants to pick it up next, mixtapes and monsters. I had a hard time like getting into it. I think that I was so, everything I saw, like I was taking in a lot there. There's just, you know, once she gets to that apartment, there's a lot to look at. And what is she doing? She's walking around. She's talking to herself. She's, I, I, I was trying to figure out what was really going on. I knew that her, her friend had died and that was all I really knew. I didn't, I, could, I couldn't even tell really that she was in her apartment. I didn't know if she was in her own apartment. Like I was really struggling to kind of keep up with, with the facts for a bit. And then I just kind of let go and kind of went on the ride with it, you know? I always end up with comments that are really judgy and not so much about like the, the quality of the, um, the story. But I had a num number of random thoughts. Um, one of which was, and it's fascinating, Sosie, that you, you're retro united and that you, you know, retro is your thing. Because when she's in that apartment, it is like, a hipster's wet dream in there it's like <laughs> exactly. turntables and i mean it was it's i mean i'm not saying that you're a hipster but you know what i mean like how it kind of has that hipster vibe like from the way that she looks and the way the apartment looks even you know it just had that whole like hipster vibe to me so and acknowledge that my own bias and I don't want to say it's a bias towards hipsters, but what really came across for me was this, like, this is an L.A. hipster movie. <laughs> I, I, I'm just being honest. Like, that is that is a total assumption and a bias on my part. I'm like, there's some L.A. filmmakers that are like, you know, I, I don't know. I just kind of had this. I had a bias the whole time. So with that said, I really enjoyed, like, the the what they were trying to do, which I'm I'm sure is to do two things. One is tell us that her relationship has ended because she cheated on her boyfriend and yeah. her friend has died. And um, so she's got two losses actually that she's dealing with. She carries around a lot of guilt for her cheating and she clearly has a, 
I mean, like, I'm sure anyone who loses a friend, you know, has the guilt of I could have done more, I could have said more, I could have been a better friend, even if she was the best of friends. Did her friend die of cancer? Uh, I don't do think we just they not know that? necessarily say. I don't think it's okay. said, but she's young. Let, so these are young women. They're in their yes. 20s. Yes, they are young women in their 20s. You know, probably the coolest thing was when she wore that wolf suit through like the second or the <laughs> last third of the movie. I thought that was very cool. He had a very cool wolf suit. I think another reason I, this is kind of a bias against the movie and not necessarily the um, the creation of it or the vibe of it. I realized something about myself today while watching it. I have less empathy for characters in movies that I don't identify with. Mm. And and that's a challenge I'm putting to myself, which is be more empathic for all of the characters in the movie. You know? The same way in regards to rom-coms. I just can't get into them. <laughs> I'm like, your problems are not my problems. <laughs> But it's like, you know, like if you can't get on board with it because you have your own stuff, it's kind of defeating the purpose of absorbing the, the, the message that the filmmaker is trying to send. However, for anyone that has studied art in any way, it's all about there's what the artist is trying to communicate but the artist has an audience and that audience is always part of the story. So it's not just, I want you to see it this way. I want you to absorb my character this way. You can always dream that. And I'm sure John has dreams every night of you know making a character that everyone will be like, yes, I get it, John. Some people will just be like, I don't get it. Or I don't like that character. You know, One of the things that bothered me about this actress is that she looked like a weird mixture of like Reese Witherspoon and this other actress, Mackenzie Mozzie, she looked like a mashup of those two actresses. And so all I could see in some scenes was Reese Witherspoon and in other scenes, it was this other actress. It was just distracting to me. This isn't really helpful, I think at all, but well, it is my opinion. So you're just yeah. gonna have to hear it. You yeah. asked for it. Um, <laughs> the, the thing that I did love, I liked the outcome of like, go on this journey find all of these mixtapes. It's music, it is song. And I actually think that's a fabulous point to make. Your music is such an important piece of emotion. You know, like we feel so much through music. Music ties us to people and times and things that I loved that the music was like this um, treasure map to the answer, right? They layered this sci-fi thing on top of it of like, oh, it's this sound and the sound is part of the music and it's opened the gateway for the creatures and then the creatures are here and you're not saving the world, but you're going up into oblivion with them all. They layered that sci-fi on top of it, but truly I think what it, you know, sending someone through this journey of music actually is very powerful and she gets to the end of it and it's just like the answer is there. Yeah, forgive and forget. Forgive yourself, forget your mistakes, remember the good things, remember your friends, the love that you had, that was an awesome message. It just, you had to go through an escape room to get to it, you know? Yeah, that, it's a that was, I was, I it's was frustrated kitchen, by that. It's a bit of a kitchen sink. Sorry, I don't mean to. Yeah. I'm no, go, go, go. I'm just, I'm rambling at this point. No, no, it's all good. Let's, let's see what Jesse and uh, Sosi have, and then maybe we can get into a, a couple, couple points. Yeah, I really liked it. I, I got some, some Donnie Darko vibes, some Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind vibes. Uh, Good movie. It, it's kind of like a mashup of some of those themes. Yeah. And, you know, the story is hinting at, well, did the world end? And I think it's her world that ended. And so I'd say it was an original way or, or, or at least a, a pretty fresh way to, you know, depict the, the grief. Mm -hmm when a movie can do that by adding in either a supernatural a sci-fi or a fantasy flair then it wins <laughs> over like all the way because that's what i'm all yeah. about so yeah the monsters definitely added some spice to it mm -hmm. and the things they did cinematically with the, the animation and stuff like mm -hmm. i that i dug sick. all of that and the music like you said i think you know us older generations mixtapes for us well, for me, it was CDs, but that's when you put those on, you're transported back to the time in your life when you made them. And I think the director really nailed uh, 
what those represent. Cool. So see, I don't know if you know this, but the um, the writer and director, he also composed all the music that's between the actual songs on the tapes. Um, he did the score as well. Oh, oh. So music is important. That makes me proud. That yeah. makes me so proud it's not even me. Yeah. But now let me allow uh, Cannonball into the room. Uh, first off, very 90-ish. The music, I would say, is the love child of the mama and papa era. Like California Dreamin', like that go-go, real life feel to comment the California beatnik comment you made. The cinematography, for you to say that was a low-budget film, is insane. The cinematography was captivating. The animation threw me off, but it was like going into 80s, 90s, what is it? Heavy Metal 2000, Cool World. Let me take you on a quick acid trip kind of little curve in the movie. The story was crazy because it was like she was having cabin fever while grieving over her friend and the apocalypse like all in one so it's a movie that i feel like you have to watch three four times because so much is going on you're actually gonna miss parts of it and it entices you to have to watch it again like usual suspects i love the movie and it's not something i would normally watch it was almost like borderline chick flick <laughs> scary apocalyptic mic drop yeah it's, <laughs> yeah it's good it's a unique i think you covered it all like chick flick yeah. but a, an acceptable chick flick like this is something that a guy could actually sit back and watch and be like you know i don't feel like you bullied me into watching this <laughs> yes. i know what happens i know i know what happens the film feels very much like a mixtape, like every, every, each adventure she goes out hunting for another tape, you know, it has kind of like its own vignette of style. Like you guys were alluding to, you know, there's an animation sequence. One that's really strange is like the meta one where she sees the film crew filming her in the library. Uh, that was really interesting. The filmmaker said he was trying to convey the feeling of disassociation, which he said that those two sequences uh, in the film, the animated scene and the scene watching yourself make the movie were to him the most accurately representative of his feelings during this extreme depression he went through. He said he just felt like he was so disassociated from reality. Um, well, and, and, well, and they say, you know, they, she literally says that, you know, when she's kind of under the covers talking to Grace and they're having the conversation, it's probably his friend from beyond talking to him. I, I mean, that, that to me is like the conversation he's having with his friend that's, that's passed on because it, they're saying exactly that. Grace is saying to her, you're dissociating, you're disassociating. You need to be happy because you can't make anyone happy in life unless you find happiness for yourself. He's literally writing the words to, he's writing the words that he wanted to hear or that he hears from his friend um, into the movie. I mean, I think that's kind of it. She's like, I feel guilty for cheating. Well, we all make mistakes. You you have to forgive yourself and move on. I mean, that that, that was the whole movie actually in the yeah. little under the covers discussion. Yeah. The conversation they never had. Right. Yeah. Well, they couldn't because right. when, was, when they were alive, she wasn't dead. She wouldn't have been saying you're disassociating. But I know what you're saying because I so believe that. So many people have that issue where somebody yeah. passes and they wish that they said this or they wish that they said that. So, yeah, it definitely fits into a nice little box with a bow. Yeah. That kind of meshing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the importance of uh, self-forgiveness, right? Because... Um, you think it's tough, but you could die at age 20 from cancer, you know? Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, cool. I, I, I think, um, you know, the lost art of the mixtapes, mixtapes to save the world. Uh, yeah, it's definitely um, retro. Mm -hmm. um, but music and art, uh, I took away too that, you know, it can, it can get us through the rough times and 
inspire and unite us. You know, she's out on her own. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those movies that you can't really take anything literally. I mean, probably except for the funeral scene at the very beginning of the movie, but probably as soon as, um, maybe even as soon as she sets foot in her friend's restaurant. And as you said, Erica, with the apartment, maybe the apartment isn't really the apartment, right? Because it's such a mishmash of so many, um, you know, totems and memories right. and collectibles. And Did she take a sip from the glass that the fly fell in? She had a red and white striped straw. Did right. she and she's standing it? there. She yeah. the fly. I feel she like the straw the went back up. up. I feel like the straw went back up to her lips at some point during that scene again. <laughs> I was like, you must really be out of it if you're look that must be a hell of a drink. That must have been a mixed drink or something. Like it's on the top. As long as I drink from the bottom, it doesn't count. Like really <laughs> That's true. That definitely catches your attention. <laughs> I well, I want to know what she was drinking in the um she was in the restaurant and she's doing some sort of tea, I think. Mm -hmm. And then she goes to drink it and she's like, I don't know how you drink this shit, you know? Yeah. Um but Jesse, what you said about um, Eternal Sunshine and Donnie Darko, I absolutely agree with you. And another movie I thought about while I was watching this was the movie, one of my favorite sci-fi movies is Contact, oh, Jodie Foster. Uh -huh. That was kind of a little more literal because she's literally listening to the sound. I mean, that's how she and then ends up connecting with her, you know. But anyway, that that made me think of it too. So I I like your calls on the other on the other ones, the other movies, because I definitely thought of Contact. It actually makes me want to go watch Contact now. Nice. Yeah. What if she really? What if she really was having like cabin fever, and the demons or the aliens or monsters were really like her internal conflict? And when she was running around with the wolf thing that was cool from like the Game <laughs> of Thrones looking there. Yeah. <laughs> like, what if like? I don't know. There's so many different question marks of the movie where you have to go back. Like, is the apocalypse really real? Is she just tripping out and there's really people that she's walking by, but she doesn't see them? But right. she's like totally absorbed in her own world? Yes, we're under blankets with people. For a second, I was thinking that it was a flashback. But then other things got incorporated where it was like, okay, so no, it's not a flashback. Who the hell are you going out into the ocean to, I don't know what, with? The faceless um, One minute, yeah, it was just like MTV. One of those really cinematic, uh, really emotional, really complex storylines. Totally. And I still want to know, did she drink the fly? <laughs> you know, I sought out the movie because it was getting some good buzz on the festival circuit last year. And to me, it fits alongside um, these other like small budget, big idea, independent movies that like Primer, Upstream Color, Monsters, The Endless Spring, you know, they're on Earth. On Earth, I hope. Um, they, you know, they don't always work 100%, but they take huge swings, and this is why I love independent film. Josie, so man, thank you so much. This has been fun. Hey, it was a pleasure, and if you have any other movies, please do, because other than work, I like watching films. Sweet. All right. Well, listen to our podcast, and uh, I'm always posting shit, too. I'm sure you see that on occasion. Uh-huh. Don't worry. I'll be harassing you. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good man, and share anytime you've got new tunes and when the website is up, uh, let us know too. Definitely. All right, so John, thank you. Erica, it was a pleasure. Jesse, it was a pleasure. It was nice to see you make your uh, reemergence to the group because the. <laughs> Till next time, Sosie. Take care. Thank you, right. Sosie. So, Mike, what do we have on tap for next week? What film are you going to pitch to us? After a lot of deliberation and talking with the team here, uh, I've decided that next week we're gonna focus in on the Andy Samberg film, Palm Springs, which will be uh, premiering on Hulu this Friday. 
uh, by the time that this comes out. Obviously, it will be on a, it'll be on uh, your streaming services for a few uh, for a few weeks. And the IMDb sort of tagline is: When carefree Niles and reluctant maid of honor Sarah have a chance encounter at Palm Springs wedding, things get complicated as they are unable to escape the venue themselves or each other. And it played Sundance, right? I think it's got some good buzz going. It did play Sundance. I have read a few reviews on it. I have not actually seen the film yet. And uh, it's all been really positive. And, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting because uh, I think we all have an idea. John's giving the thumbs up. He is a fan. Uh, I think we all have an idea of uh, Andy Samberg's uh, comedy from his sketches on Saturday Night Live. John, I mean, and Hot Rod. Can't forget Hot Rod. Uh, John, this Lonely is Lonely the- Island. Yeah, it's a Lonely, Lonely Island, Island film. I, I mean, I sort of lump that in with, you know, Pop Star is a Lonely Island production. Yeah, John, is it, so you've seen it, and without, you know, sort of tipping the hand too much, uh, would you say this is a bit of a, a comedic evolution for you? Uh, absolutely. That's that's perfect, actually, Mike. And uh, I can't wait to talk about it because uh, it's really entertaining and it's smart, too, which is uh, a dark comedy that has some, some physics, quantum physics and such in there. Oh, boy. Stuff. I'm excited. Cool. Well, thanks, Mike. That's been our episode. Check out Crawl on Hulu or Amazon Prime and Starfish on Hulu. And let us know what you think in the comments section on Facebook. Make sure you follow us on social media. You'll find all the tags and links in the show notes for this episode. Until next time, this was Film Grain.